Well, good morning, church. Everybody good? A few of you are. Come on, man. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, man. It's good to be here. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, some of you guys did. Uh, well, that's awesome. Well, if you're joining us online, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And, uh, man, you know, that's really what today's message is about, is about Thanksgiving. It's about worship. It's about gratitude. And uh, hopefully today we'll be reminded, you know, how to keep all that in perspective. And, you know, and, and just realize, you know, we have much to be thankful for, don't we? We've been blessed in so many ways. And uh, we just want to be, we want to be grateful. We want to have a grateful heart. And so we're in a series where we're doing uh, Meals with Jesus. And today, this is the third week of it. We're talking about Simon the Pharisee's home. And so Jesus is invited into these homes. And, you know, he had, last week we talked about Matthew. He went and had, had a, a meal with, uh, with Matthew. And there's in, incredible things that have, happen around these tables. And we, we know that it's important for us to, to have invitations and invite people to come and to dine with people and to spend time with them. That's what Jesus did. And so here we see a Pharisee. And, you know, the Pharisees, a lot of times when we hear that, we always go negative. Uh, we think bad things about them, and, and, for some, and there's some good reasons for that. They're pretty much who put Jesus on the cross, it seems like, other than the fact that Jesus already decided that's where he was going, right? But they were the instruments in that. But the Pharisees were really some pretty sharp guys in some ways. They were extremely intelligent. They, they, they had memorized you know, all of the scriptures that they had up until that point. You know, they, they had it memorized. You know, We might read a few things in the Old Testament. They had it memorized. They knew it. And so they were intelligent guys. But they were also skeptical, and they were really religious, super religious. And uh, we talked about last week the difference between religion and relationship, and there's a big difference between the two. And hopefully, prayerfully, we've decided, you know what, man, I don't want religion. I want a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so let's kind of take a look at this, and we'll kind of unpack this passage. We'll read through it first. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. So Jesus didn't hesitate to spend time with anybody. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so what we see here is we see, you know, a beautiful picture of of a meal taking place. So like I said, Jesus, he's received this invitation and uh, he's, he's, he's accepted it. 
And a lot of times we think, well, Jesus wouldn't associate with them. Jesus went to anywhere there were people. It didn't matter if it was prostitutes and tax collectors or if it was Pharisees and, you know, just a bunch of religious, you know, hypocrites. I mean, he was going to be there because he cared about people. And they all, they all needed a Savior, right? And so he was all about people. And we talked about that last week. He enjoyed food, but he, enjoyed, he loves people. And we have to have that mentality as followers of Christ. You know, God, help me to love people, not tolerate them, you know, not just put up with them. Not hate them, but to love people. That's what that's what Jesus did. And so let's let's kind of unpack this a little bit and let's just kind of move forward here. It says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. So Jesus goes there to sit down and to eat. Now the thing is, is the Pharisee was inviting Jesus over, not probably to hang out, to you know, because he he loved him or anything, but he bring him over kind of to find out more about him, kind of check him out, to investigate him, to see what he's really about. And maybe even hopefully kind of capture him or catch him in a trap of words that he might be able to use against him. Because, see, Jesus is messing up their whole structure. These Pharisees, like I said, they were, they were extremely intelligent guys. And they were all about the rules. It was all about, you know, what you had to avoid and what you couldn't do. And they loved to lord that over the people. They weren't doing it because they loved the people. They were doing it because they, liked, they, had, they had power and authority with, by keeping the rules regulated. And not only did they look at the scriptures, because they loved the word of God, they loved the scriptures, but they, it became more of a tool to leverage against people. And oftentimes we see that. People will use, they'll use scripture to leverage it for their gain rather than for God's glory. And, and so here we see that the Pharisees have invited Jesus over, and he goes, I mean, he's there. He's like, you know what, man, I'll go. And so he, he sits down. Jesus knows what's coming. I mean, he's, he's prepared for this. So he shows up. So the Pharisees, who were outwardly pious and religiously hypocritical, prided themselves on their separation from anything unclean and sinful. So for the, the, even the word Pharisee means to be separate, to be set, set apart. Now, the Bible teaches us that we're to be holy, which holy means what? To be set apart, right? So we're to be holy. We're to be righteous people. If we're followers of Christ, it, it should be by how we live that the world will know that, you know what, that we love one another and that we follow his teachings. And so that, that's, that's the thing. We are to be separate from the world, different from the world. But these guys got to the point of where it was, hey, it had to be, they had to be separate from anything that was unclean and they didn't want to touch it or have anything to do with it because it would make them ceremonially unclean. And for them, it was all about following the rituals and the routines and the rules and the regulations. It wasn't about a relationship. It was all about the rules and the regulations. And we talked about this last week about religion. Religions believe if you believe like I believe, or if you believe like we believe, and you behave, in other words, you follow all the rules, you do the right things, then we, there might be an invitation for you to be a part of it, and you might, if you can follow through and you can carry it out, you might belong one day. Well, that's religion. And what we have to be careful about is religion can cause, cause us to miss God. Now, think about it. These guys, these, these Pharisees, they study the Scriptures. They memorize the Scriptures. You would think they would know by looking at the Scriptures, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. They would, they would know that, but they didn't because here's the thing. They were religious, and it wasn't about a relationship with God. It was about maintaining the rules. And, and they literally didn't want him messing up what they had set up, their structure that they had set up because they had power, they had authority, they had influence. They, they even kind of got to, they, they made money. I mean, they, they were wealthy with what they were doing. And so they didn't want Jesus coming in and messing this up, but that's religion. And so religion is, hey, if you believe what I believe, and if you behave properly, then you might be invited to be a part of our little group. Now, this group, you didn't always get invited to be a part of that. You had to qualify. You had to work your way in 
And you didn't always get invited to be a part of it, no matter what you were. And so they didn't do it because they, they loved the people and cared about the people. They loved the rules because they got to regulate and they got to control the people. And so it was a messed up mentality. But Jesus came along and he offers us an invitation. He invited Matthew. We read it last week. He said, Matthew, come follow me. He's inviting you. He's inviting me. He's inviting us. Hey, listen, come, follow me. And man, I, my, my yoke is light. And my, you know, I'll, I'll take those burdens that you're carrying around. He says, I'll give you life, and I'll give you life abundantly. He says, hey, listen, I'll give you peace. Remember, he, we just read it about where, the woman. He said, hey, let's go in peace. He'll give you peace. He'll set you free from the, the lies and the bondage that you're living in. He'll, he'll, give, he'll bring life into your life, man, and he'll, he'll take away the death that's there. He defeats the grave. I mean, he does all these things. And, and so when we look back, he's inviting us to an abundant life. And, and the, the invitation, Jesus is inviting all that will come, all that will believe. And so when we believe, when we put our faith in Christ, He's inviting us to follow Him. When we believe, we belong. We become a part of the family of God. This morning in the first service, we had a couple of ladies that raised their hand for salvation. And, you know, and I, I got a chance to talk to both of them after the service. And I, I walked up and I, I put my arm around and said, hey, listen. I said, did you pray to receive Christ? And she said, I did. And she just started weeping. I said, welcome home. Welcome to the family. You belong. In other words, they're part of the family. They're part of the, the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, Right. And so it's by faith that they're saved. It's not by works or deeds or anything like that. But they put their faith in Christ. You know, and now they go, you know what, man, I know that I'm part of the family. I belong. So because they believed in what Jesus did on the cross, and what they believed about Jesus in the power of the resurrection, that he, he defeated death. He defeated the grave. He defeated sin. They believe, so therefore they belong. Now here's the thing. But as the Holy Spirit begins to work in them and lead them and teach them and guide them, their behaviors will change. And that's the way it should be for all of us. Whenever we accept Christ, He steps in, we believe, we belong, and all of a sudden we are His. We, we become a part of the family. And then the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of certain things. Hey, listen, that does not honor God. That does not glorify God. That is not what God's Word teaches. And we begin to change our behaviors based on what God's Word teaches us and the Holy Spirit guides us through. That's where real life change begins to take place. And so we see the difference between the two. So when a certain immoral woman from that city heard He was eating there... She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, here's the thing. That immoral woman means that she was most likely a prostitute. And so she was a, a woman of, of ill repute, if you would. And so she had a, a lifestyle. She had a, a trade that she did that was dishonoring to God. It was uh, something that, you know, was uh, these guys would consider unclean. She was a sinner. Remember, he said she's a sinner. And, and so they were looking at her, and it was, they were focused again on what she had done, not on what Jesus could do, right? They were focused on what she had done, how she had messed up, how she had blown it, rather than what God could do in her. Not focused on redemption, restoration, anything like that. They're focused on what she had done. That, that, they disqualified her because of what she had done. And let me just say, that's what Satan loves to do to you. He loves to disqualify you and remind you of what you've done. And what we have to do is we have to remind him of what Jesus has done. We point to the cross. We point to the resurrection. We point to mercy and forgiveness and grace. We just got through singing about amazing grace. And so she, this, this immoral woman, this prostitute from that city, heard he was eating there. And she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. In other words, she brought a treasure for her, something that was expensive. It was the best that she had. And she brought this alabaster jar to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And so, I don't know if you guys have seen The Passion of the Christ. Anybody in here seen The Passion of the Christ? All right, a few of you have. All right, so here's the thing in The Passion of the Christ. There's a funny scene in there where Jesus is talking to his mom, 
And, uh, and anyway, there's this table there. And she's telling him, hey, that table's too tall. And it shows Jesus kind of get down and act like he's maybe, like he's designing a chair. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Jesus is the one that came up with a chair. And, and it's kind of a funny thing because back then you didn't have tables and chairs like we have. The tables back then would have been low to the ground. And what you would do is you would lay around or kind of recline, if you will, at the uh, table, maybe on an elbow or on a pillow or something like that. And so that's how Jesus' feet were kind of sticking back behind him. They weren't up under the table, you know, as he's sitting there, but he's reclining at the table. Like we think reclining, he's sitting in a chair leaning back, which I always got in trouble for. Anybody else get in trouble for reclining in a chair at the table or something like that? You know, I see your hand right there. So anyway, what I would, what they would do is they would recline and their feet would be back. So she comes up from behind there and she begins to just weep and she's crying and her tears are falling on his feet. And then she gets down and she takes her hair and she starts drying his feet off. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And what we see here, this is what we see. We see a beautiful picture of authentic worship. We see a beautiful picture of authentic worship. Here's, here's a woman who man, really took a risk on even being there because of, think about who's sitting around the table, a bunch of Pharisees. And this guy named Jesus who is supposed to be the Messiah, the promised one. And everybody's talking about, and they're talking about the authority and the power that he walks with. And, and here she is, she's a, a prostitute. She's been selling herself to, you know, to pay the bills or to take care of her family or whatever it might be. You know, and so she knows who she is, but she also knows who Jesus is. That's what I love. And, and so we see a beautiful picture of authentic worship. And I think sometimes for us, what we do is we, we equate worship to singing a few songs, you know, or something like that. I, I often hear people tell me, they say, man, I love Journey Church's worship. We, y'all have incredible worship there, even people that go to other churches. And I want to say, I don't, because I know what they mean, but I want to say, oh, you're talking about how our people live their lives? Because that's what worship is. And too often what we do is we say worship is those, those songs that we sing before the message is done. But see, the worship is really the reading of God's Word. It's the teaching of God's Word. It's the living out of God's Word. It's me living my life in a way that brings glory and honor to God. That's what worship is. Worship's not singing a few songs. You know, this woman, literally, when we see what she did, she didn't sing a song. She didn't sing a song. You know, she, she, she didn't dance. She didn't do anything like that. She got down and she wept. She was broken before the Lord. She weeps over his feet. She dries them with her hair. She begins to kiss them and just going, you know, you are Lord. And then she begins to anoint him with his perfume. Now, this is not the only anointing that we'll see in Scripture. There's another one that takes place. And, and this is what I love about Jesus here. Man, he, he raises the value of this young lady. He, he gives her value. You know, and what we do is we, we see a beautiful, beautiful, authentic picture of worship here. And so here's what I would say. We, we will worship something or someone. Everybody in this room will worship something. For some of you, and a lot of people across the state of Alabama yesterday were probably worshiping a football game. You know, uh, they were worshiping a, a football game. They were praying. I don't know what God they were praying to, but, you know, here's the thing. They were praying about stuff. And, uh, and I'll, I'll just tell you, that I, I, I thought about this. I said, there, there's people that put a lot more time and effort into preparing for that game and that event than they put into worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. All across the state, and really for a lot of schools all across the nation. Rivalry week, whatever you want to call it. So here's what we do a lot of times. We... We literally will take something that really doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things like that game yesterday really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And we'll put so much attention and focus on that rather than something that has eternal ramifications, rather than something that can change anyone's life, rather than something that can affect my, my, my marriage and my family and everything about me. But we'll put so much into something like a sport or a basketball game or a baseball game or a football game 
our, our stuff or, or we'll put it into a school or something like that rather than saying, God, help me to help me to put my focus on what really deserves my worship. So we will worship something and it can be anything, you know, or someone. Maybe it's a player. You worship a player. You know, he's the greatest of all time. The goat that is so that's so wore out right now, you know. But so it's always and there's always a new goat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's always something. So they worship that or they worship a sport or a team or money or careers or accolades, you know, whatever. And so we, 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 we find these idols and we just say, you know, those are more important. And he was like, Mike, I'm not into idol. But here's the thing. If you look at your life and hey, how you spend your time are your treasures and what you really bow down to, your life will reveal that. That's what it revealed in this young lady's life. And so we're, we're, we will worship something or someone because we are created to worship. We're created to worship, but we're created to worship the one true God. And too often what we do is we choose something else. We choose idols. And if we look back to the Old Testament, we see, and we go back to the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve to spend time with them. You know, he walked with them in the cool of the day and in the, in the garden. And there was worship that took place there. So we're going to worship something. We're designed that way. We're hardwired that way. But, man, it's supposed to be God, the one true God. And too often what we do is we... We settle for little G gods and look for idols. And, and we would never knowingly choose that, but oftentimes we just follow the pattern of this world. And the Bible tells us over and over, do not follow the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? So we're supposed to know. And so when we allow God to change the way that we think, it changes the way that we worship. And so we're created to worship. True worship is bold. True worship is bold. I think sometimes, uh, you know, we're, we're reluctant to really worship anything unless we're in a crowd of people that are worshiping, you know, the way that we think you should worship. Like in church, a lot of times we're timid and sheepish. But you go to a football game and you act like a fool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you get in there and you'll do whatever. Whatever everybody else is doing, you're doing. You, you can swag back and forth or you can jump up and down or you can do whatever. And, you, you, hey, that's okay because that's what everybody else is doing. But we get in a worship service and we're like, man, I don't know about that. They're raising their hands over there. I think true worship is bold. Bold. I mean, we come before the Lord, man. We're excited about, and man, we're lifting holy hands unto the Lord. We're not giving Him little leftovers. We're not. We're not digging in our pocket and giving a little change. We're bringing our best. I mean, we're saying, God, I want. I want to prepare for worship like I prepare for everything else. Maybe even more so for this, because this is what should be the most important thing. And so we worship with boldness. Look at this passage here. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We're to boldly approach the throne of grace, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of the fact that he went to the cross. So I don't need to walk through life sheepishly and I don't need to, you know, sheepishly approach God, but come to God and say, God, God, I know that you love me. You've proved that by your, by sending your son Jesus to the cross. God, I know that you can forgive me. God, you've told me that over and over again that you can wash away my sins. And so I want to boldly worship you with everything that's in me. That's what this lady did. This lady comes in. I mean, think about this. She's, Jesus is meeting with the Pharisees. They had authority. They could have had her arrested. They considered her unclean. They considered her nasty scum. Like, remember last week? The, the, the Pharisees are like, hey, what are you doing eating with this scum? And so she was the scum of the earth to them. And they could have literally had her arrested. But they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. Maybe they're trying to trap him again. I don't know. But she comes in, and she literally boldly goes to the Messiah, to the promised one, and begins to get down and just starts weeping and washing his feet with her tears. And so she's bold enough to say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'm going to Jesus. What, what if we lived our lives like that? You know what, 
I don't care what anybody else thinks, man, I'm going to worship Jesus. I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'm going to follow Christ. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what the crowd's doing. I don't care what the world says is, is the right thing to do. I'm going to do what the Word says because the Word is the truth. And I'm going to do what the Bible says. And I'm going to worship in truth and in spirit. That's what I'm going to do. And so here's the second one. True worship is authentic. It has to be real. You always tell people, little kids can, can see through people probably better than adults can. And so there's something about being able to see when someone's authentic, whenever they're real. And I think it's whenever, because they're the same no matter where they go. They don't have a, they don't put on the plastic. You know, for years, people would talk about Christians being hypocrites and they put on the plastic and they act like everything's all together. And, and we want everybody to think, hey, everything's great. Whenever, sometimes it's best to say, you know what, everything's not okay. I need you to be praying for me. But to be authentic and to be real, to be genuine, say, man, I've blown it. I've messed up. We've all blown it. We've all messed up, right? But God is looking for, for authentic worship. Don't come in here and worship so that people can see you. God knows your heart. And whatever your worship is, He's looking at your heart. God cares about the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, right? And so whenever we worship, our worship has got to be, God, this is for you. It's not for anybody else in the room. God, my worship is for you. And God, I want to bring you my very best. And God, I want to, I want to authentically worship you. I want to, in a genuine way, worship you. And so true worship is authentic. Jesus was talking to another woman at the well who, in some ways, you could say, had a pretty rough life. And he's talking to her. And again, Jesus shouldn't have even been talking to her, according to them. But again, it goes to show you that Jesus continually raised the value of women. This is a culture, man, that was not friendly towards women. They were subservient. I mean, they were, they were put down. And, and so over and over we see in Scripture where the Bible raises the value of women. And I'm just telling you, well, there's a lot, there's a big feminist movement going. But I'm just telling you, Jesus did more to raise the value of women than anybody else in history. And so here he is, again, he's speaking to a woman at the well he says, but the time is coming indeed is here now. He's saying, man, it is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. In other words, in truth, in other words, it's authentic, and in spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Remember, I don't know if you remember the story, but she said, hey, listen, I know that there's going to be worship take place on this mountain here, but these guys stay over here. And he goes, listen, it ain't about the location. It ain't about the building. What he's saying, hey, listen, it's about the heart, and it's about being led by the Spirit. It's being filled with the Spirit. And here's the thing, worshiping as the Spirit leads you. And, and, and so what Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about a location. And oftentimes what we do, I've got to go to church, and I've got to go worship there. No, no, you can worship wherever you are if you have Jesus Christ living within you, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit sealed within you. You have the Spirit that can lead you in worship. I mean, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I could be in prison like they were in the New Testament where they're sitting there and they're singing songs and they're worshiping in the middle of a jail cell. They can wor- we can worship anywhere, right? Because the Spirit is where we are if we have the Spirit of God living within us. Now, don't this is what a lot of you probably do. Hey, well, Mike said we didn't have to go to church anymore. You know, now we can go fishing. I can go hunting. I can go play golf. I can go shopping. I can go do whatever. Because wherever I go, I can worship there. But the Bible also says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, but all the more come together as the day of Christ approaches. So what we do is we do use that as a justification sometimes. Like, I don't have to be in that building to worship. You don't. But you're also told to be here to encourage one another and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We need each other. We need each other to encourage one another and to spur one another on. And so God is looking for truth on authentic worship. Then true worship is humble. If we come in here arrogantly or prideful, uh, you know, when we come in here and we think we're all together and we've got all that, you know, we need to let everybody see how much we've got together. You've already missed it again. And so we're to humbly come before the Lord. 
boldly approaching the throne of grace, but in humility, realizing, you know what, man, I don't deserve anything. God, it's only because of your amazing grace. It's only because of your mercy that I have a right. And the only right I have is the fact that Jesus' righteousness has been applied to my life. Whenever I stand before God, he's not going to say, Mike, hey, the reason you're in is because of these things you did. He's going to say, it's what you did with my son. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ being applied to your life that makes you even able to be approached, be able to approach the, the throne of grace. And so it's all about Christ. And so true worship is humble. You think back to this woman. I mean, you get the picture. She comes in, his feet are there, and she gets in and she begins to weep. And literally her tears are falling and she's wiping off the, the dust and the mud. And she's just pouring tears to the point where she's wiping it off. And then she begins to dry it with her hair. She'd take her hair. Obviously, she had long hair. And she's, she's literally drying off his feet. And then she starts kissing those feet. Man, what a picture of humility. Of authentic, true worship. And then she takes the very best thing she's got. This, this, this expensive perfume and begins to anoint his feet. Man, what a beautiful picture of true worship. She did it in humility. And we are to do the same thing in humility. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So when we humble ourselves, we don't make it about us. We make it about God. We make it about his people, right? We make it about God and about his people. He will lift us up. He will honor us. And so here, this woman who was a prostitute, who was probably ostracized and who is, you know, being shamed in some ways by the people in the room, even with their stares and their glares, right? They're probably looking at her like, what is that scum doing in here? And she feels all that. She feels all that in humility, man. She, she comes in before the Lord. She just gets at his feet and begins to just literally anoint him. With her tears, with her hair, and with the perfume and the kisses of a broken heart that's being redeemed. I love this beautiful picture. True worship is sacrificial. True worship is sacrificial. When, when we, we come in, it, you know, it costs us something. And I, I think even raising holy hands unto the Lord, oftentimes we're, go, you know, we're worried about what other people think. Don't worry about that. You know, raise holy hands, you know. Man, sings. You know, you might say, well, Mike, I don't sing real well. The Bible says to make a joyful noise, right? You know, just sing unto the Lord. You know, speak these words back to him. Whenever the lyrics are being sung, just think about what those lyrics are saying. Say, God, this is my words to you. God, this is my invitation for you to come and take over. And when you're praying, man, just pray, God, I, I want you to be in, in charge. God, I want you to fill this place with your presence and your power. God, I want to be overwhelmed by who you are today. And so true worship is sacrificial. This, this woman brings, you know, this, this alabaster jar. It was sacrificial in that she came into that room and she got down and she literally put herself in such a humble position. That was sacrificial. It cost her. You know, she, it had to be embarrassing in some ways, but yet she didn't care. And then she got out the very most expensive thing that she had and she began to anoint Jesus' feet with it. And so true worship is sacrificial. King David said this. He said, that the king, but the king replied to Aaron, no, I insist on buying it for I will not uh, present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. David says, you know, it's got to cost me something. I want it to be sacrificial. I want it to be something that I, I give, and I've got some, I've got some uh, skin in the game. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. They, the guy was like, hey, listen, just take it. And he goes, no, 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 I can't do that. He said, I, I, I've got to, it's got to cost me something. You know, in just a few weeks, we've got the big deal of offering coming up. Uh, Shannon just mentioned it in the, in the video. Last year, we took up $100,000, and that whole, that whole offering it's to be above and beyond. It's to, it's to cost us something. It's supposed to be sacrificial. And, and something that we see is worship. It's not something that you go, well, I've got to do that to fit in. I've got to do that to be part of the crowd over that journey. No, no, no. You get to be a part of something because we're saying, hey, listen, we want to give sacrificially because we believe in the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. And we want to invest in that. And we, and we want to see a good return on that money. 
you know, we want to see people's souls saved and lives changed. And so that's a beautiful picture that we see here. And so being sacrificial is saying, you know, I want to give something that costs me something. Yesterday I had a, or this, this week I was talking to a lady and she was sharing with me. She said, hey, look, I'm excited this year about what I get to give for the big give offering. I said, well, that's cool. And she was like, I know I'm not supposed to tell you. She said, okay, if I tell you. I said, well, that's between you and God. And she goes, well, I just want to tell you. She, said, she told me the amount. And I was like, and I'm sitting there thinking, all right, are you sure that's from God? Because that's a pretty substantial amount. You know, and she's on, kind of on a fixed income. And I'm sitting there going, all right, you need to be, and I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, be careful. Make sure that's God. But she was so excited about what God has been doing in her life. She was so excited about the change and transformation that he has brought in her life, the peace. And so she's filled with joy. And it's almost like, man, I get to do this. You know what that is? That's the right kind of heart to give with. It's that heart of gratitude. When we say, you know what? Man, I'm so excited about what God's doing. I get to invest in him doing that in other people's lives. Then we have the right attitude, right? That's exciting worship. That's exciting gratitude. And it's because we know where we've come from. And so there's something beautiful about that. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. So this is what we see about the the Pharisee here. He's making it very clear. He doesn't believe he's the son of God. He doesn't believe he's the Messiah. He doesn't even believe he's a prophet. He doesn't even believe that he's a good teacher. You know what he's saying? Hey, listen, man, if this guy were just a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she's unclean. He would know that. And so the Pharisee, man, he, he's, he's focused on what she's done. So the woman outwardly revealed what she believed about Jesus, while the Pharisee revealed inwardly what he believed about him. And so here's, here's, here's what I would say to that. The woman says, you know what? I can't hold this in. I, I can't hold this back. And so she let her outward actions reveal what had taken place inside of her. And on the other side of the, of the table here, we see a Pharisee who's inwardly saying what he reveals about, what he believes about Jesus. He's making it pretty clear about in his thoughts. He's going, I, you know, I know this guy can't be uh, the right guy. So this is what I love. Jesus answered his thoughts. Doesn't that kind of push you back a little bit? And you go, whoa, Jesus knows his thoughts. And let me just tell you this. He knows your thoughts as well. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows everything about you. You know, earlier as I was worshiping and I was praying, I was like, God, I thank you that you are all knowing. You know all things. God, I thank you that you're all powerful. As we were singing that song about his power, his power in that name. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And so he knows everything. He knows the thoughts of Simon. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And just how Jesus says that, hey, I have something to say to you. It's not like, hey, I want to tell you something. But hey, I have something to say to you. It's almost like, hey, listen, I want to address something with you. I know what you're thinking. And let me speak something to you. Let me, let me, let me teach you something. And then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And so here's what we see. Authentic salvation produces a, a posture of gratitude. So what Simon says is, I suppose the one who was forgiven a greater debt and what what simon was saying was hey listen i agree with what you're you're saying jesus but i don't embrace it i agree with what you're saying jesus in the story here but i don't receive it and i'll just tell you this there's times that we hear things that we go man that's a good word or that's a good message mike or or that's a good scripture to read but we don't embrace it we hear it 
And we agree that, you know, it's probably good, but we don't embrace it and we don't, we don't apply it and we don't try to live it out and we don't put our faith in that word and say, you know, I'm going to walk in that today. And so we're, a lot of times we're just like the Pharisee here. We hear it, but we don't embrace it. We hear it, but we don't apply it. We hear it, but we don't walk in that. And we don't let it really change us. And so oftentimes we miss out on the greatest blessing of Scripture, and that is the application of Scripture. But authentic salvation produces a, a posture of gratitude. Man, whenever you've been saved and you know, man, I, you know, hey, I know what it was like to be lost. I know what it was like to be on the outside looking in. Man, there is such an attitude of gratitude towards God. going, God, I don't even know how you love me. God, I don't know how you could forgive me. And God, you have shown incredible mercy to me. And God, you have forgiven me of things that I knew not to do. I knew better than to do it, but you have forgiven me. And so there's this incredible sense of gratitude. And you're so, you're so excited about what he's done that, man, you're wanting to do all that you can for him. And that's what we do. When someone shows us great forgiveness, we want to say, man, I want to do all that I can just to bless them, to encourage them. And that's, that's what she's doing here. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. He says, when I entered your home, you didn't offer uh, me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. What he said, hey, listen, you didn't even show me the common courtesy of washing the dust off my feet. You don't really care that I'm here, Simon. And he said, hey, listen, I know what you're thinking, Simon. I know your thoughts. He said, but you don't even really care that I'm here. And so really what Simon was had him there for was to check him out, to kind of figure him out, maybe figure out a way to trap him. Maybe kind of where we could kind of get rid of this guy and kind of get him out of the way because he's affecting our system. He's kind of turning things upside down and we need to figure out a way to stop him. And there's other Pharisees there kind of checking everything out as well. But he said, man, she has brought me great honor. She loves me. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume, the best. So Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, she just, she brought some perfume. He says rare perfume, the good stuff. And so every time we see that, you know, man, whenever Jesus changes somebody, he changes them completely. And so this is what I love. You know, this woman who is at his feet, she's going, you know, I know who I used to be. But Jesus, I know who you are. And I know who I am now. She's a new creation, right? She's been changed. She's been transformed. And she goes, I'm giving you everything. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many. And I love this. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there's no question about her sin. For every one of us in the room, you know, we, we go, you know, I'm a sinner. And Jesus goes, yes, you are. That's the reason I came. I came to pay for your sin. I came to redeem you. But he says, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Both the sinful woman and the sinful Pharisee needed Jesus. They both needed Jesus. We all need a Savior. But here's the thing is, religion is one of those things we have to be careful about because religion can cause us to miss God, right? We get so focused on the religion, on the rituals and the routines and, and doing everything the right way and following all the rules that we can miss God. And that's what these Pharisees had done. They had missed the Messiah. They had missed Him. They had been studying the Scriptures and they missed Him because religion can do that. But when it's about a relationship with God, man, we begin to see things completely different. And so the Pharisee needed Jesus, but so did the woman. But she realized her need. She acknowledged her need. And I'm just telling you, the best place we can be sometimes is to realize, you know what? I need a Savior. I am broken. I am sinful. I am in need of a Savior. I may have gone to church my whole life, but man, I realize today I am not saved. And I need to be born again. I need to breathe that life that Jesus can give me. And I'm telling you, man, the best place to be is when we realize, you know what? I needed Jesus. 
Both the, sinful, both the sinful woman and the sinful Pharisee revealed their heart conditions through their actions, their outer actions. So here's the thing. The woman's heart had been changed. I mean, she's, she's broken. She's humble. The Pharisee's sitting there arrogant with a stiff neck and a hearty heart. I mean, an arrogant heart. This haughty spirit about him. And so their heart conditions begin to reveal on the outside what was going on in here. And I'm just saying that's the way it works. When this changes, man, when my heart is changed, it changes everything on the outside. When God changes your heart, He changes how you talk. He changes how you live. He changes how you treat people, how you see people, how you serve people. He changes what your focus might be. So Simon, he saw Jesus was just a a dinner guest. So to him, Jesus was just a dinner guest. I've I've invited this guy over to check him out, maybe to kind of figure him out, maybe to even trap him in his words. But he just saw him as a dinner guest. But the woman, I love this, the woman saw Jesus as Lord. She saw him as the Lord as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Promised One, as her Redeemer. And man, she was so broken and so moved that He would offer her eternal life. That He would even allow her to, you know, to wash His feet and to weep over His feet and to kiss His feet and to anoint Him. That She was just blown away by that. That she got to worship Him that way. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man? That he goes around forgiving sins. So Jesus tells the woman, hey, your, your, your sins are forgiven. And of course they go, who is this man? In other words, they don't know who he is. He's not Lord to them, right? Who is this man that can forgive sins? They're, they're sitting there going, who is this guy? He's not the Messiah. He's not the promised one. He's not the Lord. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so Jesus makes it clear. It's not, it wasn't her worship. It wasn't her actions. You know, and I think sometimes we think, well, man, I'll just worship more and I'll just worship harder and I'll just pray harder and maybe God will accept me. No, no, no. It's by our faith in Christ that saves us and it's faith alone. Well, maybe I'll do more. I'll read the Bible more. I'll memorize Scripture more. Maybe God will, you know, will save me or accept me. He accepts us when we put our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and through the power of the resurrection. It's by faith that we're saved. It's not by works. But, man, it's when we believe He's who He says He is. And the guys made it clear. They didn't believe He was, he was the Messiah, the promised one. The woman was not saved by her actions, but by her faith in Jesus. And it's the same way for us. We're not saved by our actions. We're saved by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. This means Second Corinthians five seventeen. We have this on the shirts that we give to people when they're baptized. And on December the twelfth, we're doing baptism. You've never followed Christ in believers' baptism. You need to take that step of obedience. That's the next step. And so we put that on the back of the church, and we say, for, you know, forever changed on the on top of it. And then this passage here. But it says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And see what Scripture says is whenever we put our faith in Christ, He gives us a new name. And He gives us a new heart. And He gives us a new direction. And He gives us a new path to walk on. And He changes, man. He gives us a new life. And maybe you're here today and say, man, the life that I've got, man, I have ruined. I have wrecked it. And I need to be redeemed. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And I'm just telling you, man, don't do like the Pharisees did. And just get caught up in religion and miss Jesus. And miss the promised one, the Messiah. Do what the woman did. And humbly, in brokenness, come before him and say, Jesus, here I am. I give you my life. I surrender. And he'll take your life and he'll change you from the inside out. And he'll put you on a new path. And he'll give you a new life. I love that passage. A couple of next steps. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, that's me. And choose to surrender to Jesus and put your faith in Him today. Right now. Maybe you're watching online today. I'm saying, you know what? I choose to surrender everything 
everything that I've got, everything to Him. I want to give Him my best. Here's the next step. Choose daily to worship Jesus by how you live your life. See, worship's not a few songs. It's not even the music. But it's how I live my life. It's how I work at my job. It's how I treat my neighbor. It's how I treat my kids. It's how I treat my wife. It's how I treat my husband. It's how I treat my whatever. It's how I treat people. It's how I, how I work. How I treat my boss. How I treat the people that work under me. So how I worship is how I live out my faith. So maybe for all of us in this room today, we go, you know what? God, help me to stop just kind of narrowing down worship to just a few songs on Sunday morning and let it be how I live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and all through the week. And how I live, no matter where I go, my life is centered on Jesus. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm not sure what God may be dealing with you about or what He's revealed to you today. Maybe maybe today you realize, man, I, I need Jesus. Maybe all this time you go, you know what, I've been religious. But I want a relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my life. Jesus, I want to ask you to save me. I want to be redeemed. So maybe right now, just in a humble kind of way, just say, Jesus, I've sinned. And my sins are many. And I confess that to you. I'm agreeing with you, God. My sins are many. So Jesus, will you come into my heart? I'm inviting you to come in to lead, to be the leader of the Lord of my life. And Jesus, I'm confessing that I've sinned and I'm asking you to forgive me of that. But Jesus, I want to quit living that way and I want to follow you. That's repentance. So Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I want to put my faith in you. And I'm asking you to save me, to change me, to redeem me. If that was your prayer, I want to ask you if you would just to raise your hand. Just say, Mike, that was me. Anybody in the room, just raise your hand. Just say, Mike, that was me. We've seen people getting saved Nearly every Sunday, the last few Sundays has been incredible. Anybody, just raise your hand. Raise it high so I can see it. Anybody? Right here, I see your hand over here. Hey, welcome to the family. Welcome home, brother. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. If, you did, if you're online and you just prayed that prayer, let us know somehow. We want to know. We want to celebrate that with you. I celebrate this brother over here. This part of the family. Isn't that awesome, church? That's what it's about. Jesus came that we might live. And so according to the Scriptures and according to this young man's faith he is now a part of the family of god and man his next step is to follow christ in believers baptism letting the world know that his life has been changed that's powerful i believe god is dealing with some of you others about other things maybe your salvation's been nailed down but you're living in sin maybe there's some things you just need to come up and confess to god and lay down on the altar praise team's going to come they're going to lead us in a song of response it's an opportunity for you to respond. And so I just want to encourage you to trust Him. To trust that Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads you. Remember, we talked about being worshiping in truth and in spirit. We're to, we're to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Don't let Satan talk you out of it. And don't negotiate your way out of a decision that God has put on your heart. I want to ask everyone across the room to stand. Go ahead and stand. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads. The prayer team will be here at the, at the altar to pray with you. But there may be something you just need to lay down at the altar. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads.